We're going to read Mark chapter 14, two verses, that's it. Does not mean I will be short, just mean I'm reading two verses. So Mark 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, Mark makes sure to remind us of his position, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money and sought an opportunity to betray him. So many years ago, Edgewater was, I think, less than a year old. I told a story in church, and I had this lady contact me, and she, we had a meeting, and she said, that was the grossest story I have ever heard. Do not ever share that story again in church. So here's the story. <laughs> um, one of my daughters was maybe 18 months old. And I was out, and we had a dog, Chloe, and I was throwing this golf ball for my dog, Chloe. And so my daughter, she's 18 months old, she's watching this, and she's giggling, she's having a great time. And I threw it like eight or nine times. <clears throat> and then on the ninth time, Chloe brought the ball back, but didn't drop it at my feet, but dropped the golf ball at my daughter's feet. And so she reached down to grab that, and I'm thinking she's gonna throw the golf ball like her dad's been doing. 400, 500 yards, you know. It's Father's Day. Give it to me. Come on. But she doesn't. She reached down. She grabbed that thing t covered in dog drool and just popped it into her mouth. Oh. Right? And my point was real simple. My point was, you are going to act like what you're watching. My daughter was not watching me my daughter was watching Chloe the dog, and so she acted like Chloe the dog. So I said, be very careful what you're watching, what you've got on your social media, what you're filling your mind with, because if you're watching the dogs, you're going to act like them, right? So that's what, that was the meaning, right? Well, she's just like, I can't believe you would ever share that in church, and, we're, and, and I'm listening to her berate me. And then when she was done, I said, listen, lady, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to be much worse than that, okay? I'm going to be real. I'm going to be raw. I'm going to be honest. You need to find a different church to go to, right? Water off my back. No problem, right? I don't worry about that. Didn't give it a second thought. No problem. Just not a place that you fit. This is who I am. You're not going to fit. But there's another lady that if she says something, even the smallest something about a message, oh, it's a very different response. Who is that someone? my wife, right? Like, number one, I can't tell her to go to another church. That would be weird. Where's your wife go? I don't know. River Valley or something? I'm not sure. <laughs> she doesn't go here, though. <laughs> like, that doesn't work. And then number two, it's because she's close to me. When you're in, you have influence. When you're in, you trust, hey, this person has my best in mind. Like, I can't figure out other people's agendas. I don't know their story, but my wife, I do. 
And I know that she has my best in mind. And I know that she wants good for me. So her opinion and her words and what she says has huge weight to him. It's not just water off my back. I will pester her and pester her and pester her until she agrees with me. Because that's what I do, right? Because she matters. She's in. She's close. We all know that. And the closer someone is to you, if they betray that trust, the worse it is, is it not? Like somebody that's fat, I don't, it doesn't matter if they betray me, I don't care. But the closer they are, oh, it's very, very difficult. So that's why here you have Judas. Judas is on the inside, is he not? He was selected by Jesus out of a bunch of people to be part of the 12. For three and a half years, Judas will have walked with Jesus. He's heard every sermon preached in three and a half years. He's watched every miracle done. He's watched and listened to the prayers of Jesus. He's cooked meals with Jesus. He's laughed with Jesus. He's cried with Jesus. They've gone through storms together. I'm sure that he's spoken with Jesus and got counseling from Jesus, poured out his heart to Jesus, like as close as it can be. And then he sells out Jesus for two months' salary. And you've got to sit here and say, why? What happened? So I'll admit this up front. I'm gonna take a leap today with this story. I think I can give you the reason why and I'll try to work through that. But it's a leap. I don't usually try to take leaps. This is a bit of a leap. The truth that we'll get to is not a leap. It's the truth, period. But the way that I get to, I take a leap with Judas's story to try to say, here's why I think Judas did this. This is what happened inside of his soul. I think it's super important. I don't know if there's a more important application from the book of Mark than this one, all right? So to get it, you have to back up because if you noticed, it said, then Judas Iscariot. Then always connects you to something before it, right? Something happened and then I did this. What's the story before Judas goes and betrays? Remember last week? It's a dinner, a very important dinner, like the big dinner that's gonna happen in this town of Bethany. It's at this guy named Simon the leper's house. And if you don't know leprosy, brutal. It would slowly dissolve your body. Fingers would fall off till you're just nubs. Noses would fall off, ears would fall, just brutal. Just slowly but surely, it dissolves your body till there's nothing left and you're dead. And now I'm positive Simon the leper was healed. So people are showing up at Simon the leper's house and like, bro, you look great, man. High five, man, wow, it's a, it was a high one, now it's a high five, congratulations. Right, so it's happy. There's this another guy there, his name is Lazarus. He's got a couple sisters, Mary and Martha. So you know they're bringing drama if you know their story. So there's some drama there, but Lazarus, he's an all-star. You know why? He was dead for four days. So people are like, bro, you're alive. That's wonderful. You do have to die again, that's a bummer, but you're alive now, that's great, right? So it's the all-stars. This is the event in this town, huge. In the middle of the dinner, they're all laughing and having a great time. In walks this woman, uninvited. She pulls out a bottle of perfume, 
breaks it, very expensive perfume, worth a year's salary, and then just anoints Jesus with it. You know that's gotta be awkward. A really awkward moment, like people are kind of probably shuffling away from Jesus at this point, like, oh man, this is weird. It'd be like being at a dinner with like Billy Graham or something, and some random lady comes in and starts giving him a back massage. He'd be like, oh, this is random. Um, well, I don't know if this happens all the time or what. That's awkward, right? So there's kind of like that, huh? But Jesus isn't at all feeling like it's awkward. He says, this is beautiful, and this is brilliant, and this is sacrificial, because she took her most valuable possession, that this was her way out of any problem. She could always sell that. Your salary, rocket boost out of problems. She took that security, retirement, everything, and now gives it to Jesus. Amazing to me. But what should have been beautiful and sacrificial and brilliant instead starts murmuring and starts an argument because there begins to ripple through the crowd, the dinner there, the, oh, what a waste. That shouldn't have been used on Jesus. That should have been sold and given to the poor. Jesus hears this and he just puts a stop to it. Leave her alone, knock it off, rebukes that comment in front of the whole dinner. So the question is, who started that rumor? What's the source of that murmuring? That should have been sold and given to the poor. Who started that? Well, John tells us, John chapter 12. Same story, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot one of his disciples who was about to betray him, same story, same scenario, same thing as Mark, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Where'd the idea come from? Where'd the murmuring start? Judas Iscariot. So when Jesus rebukes this and stops this, who would feel the sting of that rebuke? Judas. He's the one that started it. It was his idea, right? So he gets rebuked in front of the other 11 disciples that he has been with for, 11, for three and a half years. And you know, 12 men together, they're gonna always be jostling for position, right? All of a sudden, he's at the bottom. It's in front of this very important dinner with the celebrities of the town all there. He gets rebuked by the master. How do you think that would make him feel? Hurt? Embarrassed? Disillusioned? It's unfair, right? All those things would be happening there. And I'll tell you, if you nurse those emotions of embarrassment and hurt, and disillusion, and unfair. If you nurse those wounds, they scar to deep anger. And eventually, he's gonna be angry. He's gonna be angry at the dinner, right? Why do we have to have this stupid dinner anyways? He's gonna be angry at Mary. Why'd she have to come in here and ruin this dinner? It was going super well until she came in. He'd be angry at himself. Why did I open my mouth? I should've just kept my mouth shut. He'd be angry at Jesus. Why did Jesus rebuke me that way? He should have taken me aside. 
He should have done it privately. Why did he do it so publicly? Why did he do it in front of all those people? Why did he do it in front of the 11? So here's what I think. Here's my leap. I think what happens in the heart of Judas is he, he's already jaded. This rebuke does something to him, moves him in such a way that the anger that settles into his soul causes him to betray Jesus. It's the handle that opens the door that causes him to betray Jesus. It's anger. So I want to just take a quick moment and look at anger, and then we're going to come back to the Judas story for the payoff pitch, right? So James says this. He's brilliant. Half-brother of Jesus. Most practical book in the Bible. James says this about anger. This is what he says. James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. When it comes to anger, James says we have a job. Our job, put it away. The word filthiness there is the Greek word riparian. Have you heard that before, like a riparian zone? Like it's, it's a place that grows bad stuff. So there's patterns of thinking, not listening, being quick to speak, quick to anger. There's riparian zones that if we cultivate them, look out. That we have to be very careful. Anger, I'd put it like this, you have to handle it with care. And patterns are this, we start renaming anger, right? I'm not angry, I was just sticking up for myself. No, you're angry. We play the victim. Well, she just gets me. He just gets me. My wife just gets me. My in-laws just get me. What? Right? We start do, using these patterns that we're not putting away. We're actually cultivating something in us. But the Bible makes this clear, and I could give you a dozen verses for it. Anger's an inside job. My favorite is Ecclesiastes 7.9. That essentially says this. Anger, it's lit by stuff, but the fuse, the dynamite, it's in the heart of a fool. It's already in there. That situation, what it was, was just a catalyst that lit the fuse. And you have to ask yourself, where's my riparian zone? What is it? What am I doing right now? What am I defending? Because anger almost always is we're defending something that we love. There's some love that we have. Something is threatened. Good anger is, my kids are threatened, I'm going to defend them. My wife is threatened, I'm going to defend them. The poor are threatened, I'm going to defend them. The weak are threatened. That's good anger. But there's plenty of bad anger. And we got to get back and be like, why? What's my riparian zone? What's causing this? Is it, don't they know who I am? They can't treat me like that. I'm one of the 12. He can't talk to me like that. I'm on the inside. Oh, look out. Or if this gets out, this will ruin my reputation. Oh, look out. Or sometimes hurrying. Have you noticed hurrying can make you angry? Like the person driving in front of you? What is wrong with you? 
push the long pedal for crying out loud. You know it's a problem when your kids ask your wife, why is it that all the idiots are out when dad's driving? <laughs> right? You know that's a problem. Like, hmm. Sometimes I get mad because of my poor planning. I, I try to stack things two together, and then I head to a fast food restaurant to grab a bite to eat before my next appointment, and then I get behind the line in front of that person. You know that person wanting to make small talk, and you're like, hey, I used to be able to say this years ago. It's called fast food for a reason, bro. Let's go. Now they turn around like, oh, Pastor Matt, you don't mind, do you? So I'm either going to lie or be a jerk. But it's really my poor planning. If I'd have left 10 minutes earlier, I wouldn't have this problem right now. Because it's anger is always an inside job that we have to be very, very careful with this thing called anger. Jeremiah 45, one of my verses says this, don't seek your own glory. If I am all about me and all about my glory, look out. Anger's coming because all of us have a glory that we're gonna defend, money, reputation, spouse, whatever it is. It's our thing and look out. Don't you dare touch that. We all have them. But James says this, you can control it. You can put it away. And I'll prove it, two stories. Number one from a book that I read a while back on anger. And it was a counselor that was meeting with this couple and the dad had a young son and he would just lose it with his son. Just like, just pop his top. And the wife was like, you can't do this anymore. And he's like, I can't control it. You know, it just happens to me, right? It's him. It's, just, it's all the things that people do. So they went to counseling. And by the third session, what this counselor said was this. He noticed something. He noticed, number one, that they were wealthy. And he noticed, number two, this man loved money. So on that third session, he said, hey, I've solved it. I know how you can control your anger from this day forward. And the man's like, awesome, man, I'll do anything. I hate that this happens. So this is what the counselor said. He said, from now on, every time you lose your temper with your son, you need to write out a check to your wife for $4,500, and she spends it any way she wants. He was cured. <laughs> Why? He was confronted with something he loved more than his temper, and it cured him. See, you can control it. And then the second one was in my house. Love my kids. They're great kids. They're awesome kids. But they're kids, and they do kid things. So there is this day, one of my daughters just having to melt down and just losing it, and we're like all trying to calm her down, like, hey, knock it, what is, what's your, I can't, ah, you know, just the whole thing, like, the, like, are you kidding? So Charity and I were up in the room, we're like, you just need to calm down, I can't, you know, just the sobbing, everything, when all of a sudden there's a knock on the door uh, of her room upstairs, and we open it, it's one of my other daughters, and she goes, hey, to this daughter, hey, so-and-so, a boy she liked, is at the front door right now, man, she went, oh, she is, hold on a second, I'll be right down, and then my other daughter's like, psych, he's not here, yeah, I was like, thank you. You can control it. That's why James says you can put it away. Sometimes you gotta be confronted with something we love more. Like, you wouldn't let yourself do that in front of the church, in front of a pastor, in front of your boss. Okay, if you can control it there, you can put it away here. It's James just being practical. But Matt, you know what? I actually like being angry. I don't want to put it away. I like the way it makes me feel. I don't really care. Okay, here's the payoff pitch. Back to the story of Judas. 
So Luke gives us a hint into what happens to Judas that's brilliant to me. It's Luke 22, listen to this. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near. This first verse is almost identical to Mark 14.1, where we've been. They're nearly identical. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Almost identical. Mark, after that verse, goes into the dinner at Simon the leper's house. Luke has a different goal. He skips the dinner and goes directly to the supernatural. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the 12. And he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. Fascinating. Luke doesn't include the dinner. We know the dinner happened. In that dinner, Judas gets rebuked. After that dinner, Luke says something happens in the heart of Judas Iscariot that allows Satan to actually enter him. And then he goes and betrays Jesus. That something in the dinner opened a door in the heart of Judas that allows Satan to come in and for him to act in a way that's unimaginable. And later on, he regrets it, doesn't he? He commits suicide over it. I can't believe I did this. I'm committing suicide over it. Here's what I think. I think this takes place all the time. Not at the same level where we're denying and betraying Jesus, where we're committing suicide. I think those things do happen still. But I think at a lower level, the same thing happens all the time. Let me try to prove it. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 says this. Be angry. You get that? Life first for some of us. Hey, I'm doing that command. Praise God. I like the Bible. Be angry and do not sin. It's just saying don't bottle up your anger. That's not healthy. That there is a healthy way to be angry. I have a study, and when I was doing a lot of marriage counseling about 15 years ago, and the study said this, couples that fight live longer. And immediately I thought of this couple, I'm like, if that's true, they will live forever. Because <laughs> man, right? But there is something about, hey, you've got to have the right way, not a sinful way of allowing just, okay, I've got to undo this. I got, okay, I've got to get rid of this. Here's why. Anger is just emotional energy. That's all it is. It can be used for good or bad. Right? Laughter is emotional energy. That's all it is. Can laughter be used for good? Yeah, you're hanging out with your buddies. You're having a great meal. You're laughing. You're telling stories that are really close to lies, but they're really funny, right? And you're laughing, and that's great. Stuff's coming out of somebody's nose. Hopefully, it's not yours. Like, yeah, this is a great time. But can laughter be used also to hurt people? Oh, man. Jokes at their expense, jabs at them 100%. It's just emotional energy. Anger can be used for good things, righteous causes. Yes, there's righteous indignation. It's good. But that same emotional energy can be used to hurt and to harm. No doubt about it. Right? So be angry, but do not sin. Okay? 
And it goes on to say this. Do not, here's the key. Do not, here's how you don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger is supposed to be a 50-yard dash. Quick, you're done with it. Anger is not to be an ultra marathon where mile after mile, hour after hour, you're just pounding it out in your head, just, ugh, something happens then. Why? What happens? Here's what happens. And give no opportunity to the devil. What? What just happened right there? I think Judas happened right there. I think this happens to us. Be angry and sin not. But don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Why? Because if you do, you give an opportunity for the devil. That something happens when you go to bed with anger in your heart. It's like acid. It begins to etch a hole in your heart. And that hole lets dark powers, demonic powers in. And then all of a sudden, look out. So this text has been huge in my life. Because a number of years ago, about three now, there was a guy, no one in my life has treated me worse than this individual. Maybe I've lived a charmed life, maybe that's probably it. But this person just, and they were close to me, no one's treated me worse than them. And I couldn't quite figure it out, like even going into it, I was trying to process through like, okay. And I made a decision, I am going to make peace. I'm not gonna try to defend myself. I'm not gonna try to make excuses. I'm not gonna bring up all of his side of stuff. I'm just gonna say, bro, what do you want me to do to make peace? I will do whatever you ask me to do to make peace. And then people that were in on it, they're like, I don't know, man, that seems unfair. I don't know if that's gonna work. One guy just said, I don't think you'll ever be able to do enough. I'm like, totally, I can do this. I can win this. I've always been able to win this stuff, right? So I did everything the guy asked for. And he had lists and lists and lists. And I did it all. I did everything. At the end of it, he goes, I can't forgive you. Like, okay. So that's okay. Sometimes that happens. Romans 12, 18. With everything that lies within you, be at peace with all people. I can say with a clear conscience, I gave it my best. But there's some people that are just unreasonable. So I did that. But here's the problem. Like every six months, he would back up a new dump truck and dump it on me or a situation or something. I'm just like, what in the world? And this happened about six times, just time after time after again. Ah, oh my goodness, it just happened to another friend of mine by the same guy, so it seems like his pattern. But here's what was really, really disturbing to me. When one of those incidents would happen, what I found in my heart was this, for about a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, something happened in me. Like, anger happened. Not just for one day, but for multiple days. And during those multiple days, what happened to me was this. It was like, I, I'm not a rage guy. I'm not a yell and scream guy. That's never been me. I've never, like, just, I don't, that's not my temperament. But something happened where I was irritable, short, testy. Where I, whatever, I just, this is the way I say it. I was compressed, like just thin and tight and just kind of like, oh, uh, my teeth would be on edge. I wouldn't sleep as well. I didn't, I, like, I didn't eat as much food. My digestive system seemed to be like it was messed up. Like it was physically affecting me for sometimes 10 days, two weeks. Now, I don't think anyone would notice it, but my wife, because she's close enough to me. But it just, it, it was like 
that anger, because I didn't deal with it right, settled into my soul and cut a hole in there. And all of a sudden, dark powers were affecting me. And I wasn't who I wanted to be. And I wasn't good and it wasn't healthy. And it was wrong because I let anger settle into my soul. Like, this happens, I think, all the time that we have to be super careful. I think the mass shootings that we're seeing all over, you can argue about guns all you want. I think the mass shootings that are happening right now is because of that right there. Maybe something bad has happened to those people. Maybe they were bullied. I don't know, whatever it was. Maybe they did something bad, but they let anger just sit in their soul. They let the sun set on that anger and it just began to burn a hole in their soul. And they pounded on that anger and they thought about that anger and it drove them and all of a sudden they're going in a 70-year-old going into a church and shooting other 70-year-olds. You're like, what in the world? What happened? Anger happened. Anger happened. And the devil got in and death reigned. I think that's what happens. I think it happens all the time. That this is one of the most brilliant texts in the Bible, and we gotta be careful. I think it happens. Men say, man, I don't know what took over me. I don't know, man, I almost blacked out. I was saying things I didn't understand what I was saying. Like, I didn't mean to say those things, and they just seemed to come out to my wife, or to my kids, or to my neighbors, or to my boss. Now, what happened? You let anger settle into your soul, and like acid, it cut a hole, and dark powers came in, and you're doing and saying things that you know aren't you. What happened? Judas happened to you. Happened to me. I think it happened to Saul. If you know Saul, King Saul's story, good king. Then one day he's supposed to wait for Samuel to come make a sacrifice. He won't wait. It's one day, two days, three days. Samuel's way late. So he's like, hey, I'm losing my army. I'm gonna make this sacrifice. Then Samuel shows up and says, because you did this, because you didn't wait for me, I know I was late because you didn't wait. The kingdom has been ripped from you. And then right after that, it says an evil spirit began to torment Saul torments him so bad that he takes a spear and tries to kill his own son, Jonathan, one of the most noble people in the Bible. There's hardly a character in scripture that to me is a more noble, loyal, loving, kind character than Jonathan in the Bible. And his own dad tries to kill him. What happened to Saul? He got mad. Why was Samuel late? If only he showed up on time, I wouldn't be in this mess right now. It's Samuel's fault. He let that cut a hole in his heart. And the evil spirit comes and torments him. And he's going after his own son. Because that's what anger does. It's what we watch. It's what we read. We start reading something. Start going into this narrative and reading stuff online or whatever. And we start making us agitated and angry. And all of a sudden our teeth are clenched. And they hurt in the morning. And we can't sleep. Why? Because you've let anger settle into your soul. And like acid, it's cutting a hole in it. And now you're something else. You're changing. And look out, Judas can be coming. Happened to me. It can happen to all of us. So I love to teach the Bible. It's my joy. But there are times that you just gotta pastor people. And today is one of those, this is a pastor moment. Because I think there are men and women sitting here that have been letting anger settle into their soul and it's cutting a hole in your soul. And you're starting to respond in ways that you don't even understand. And you don't like it. 
You don't know why it is. And you need to be healed like I was healed. Like, man, I started confessing that. Now my, every time that that person comes to my mind, I pray God's blessing on him. I pray God's face to shine on him. I pray that he has the best day ever, best marriage ever, best everything. Man, I am set free. My sleep is brilliant. The sun has come out. My hole in my heart has been healed. I want the same thing for you. I want you to be healed today. And I've been praying about this message for weeks, actually. Because what I want to see today is holes and hearts healed. I don't want to see anger settling into Edgewater where we start responding short and irritable and testy and we don't even know why and our kids and our spouses, they start to suffer from it. I don't want that for any of us. So I want to pastor you today. But part of it is you got to join me. James says, you got to partner, you got to put this thing away. So I'm gonna ask you to do something that I know is hard. And we don't do this often if you're new at Edgewater. We do this very rarely, but there are times that you have to do it. And so I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if you say, this is me, Matt. I'm exactly like you. That's been happening to me. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. You raise it up right now, and you gotta keep it up. Keep your hand up, and then we're gonna pray for you. And I believe God's spirit is here to heal you, but you gotta want it. You gotta say, that's me. I'm raising my hand. And you gotta keep your hand up, keep it up. Because here's what I'm gonna ask the rest of the body to do. Keep your hand up, look around right now, do a 360 degree turn, find somebody, and we're gonna lay hands on these people, and we're gonna pray for them that God heals their hearts. So right now, look around, everybody should be moving to lay hands on somebody, go. Jesus, we know apart from you, we can do nothing. We know we're not strong enough to heal holy hearts. So we say like Peter today, help us, heal us. We want to be set free from this anger that's driving us, burying us. It's unhealthy. So we ask for you, our great high physician, to right now touch and heal our hearts, to close the holes that are allowing dark powers, demonic powers, to access us and irritate us and frustrate us and cause tempers in us. Close those today, we pray. We pray that we'd be a people that keep those doors closed through the power of forgiveness, through the power of confession, through the power of your grace and your mercy, and we would be set free. 
that we would have a peace that passes all understanding directly from your throne room today. That we could leave this room whole people. So heal by the power of your spirit right now. We say heal us. Don't let the sun set on our wrath. Prevent that from us. We pray, Lord God, that we would be a people that take the peace that you've given to us and we spread out into this community and we're peacemakers because we're whole people now. That we'd be a people that pray for those that persecute us. That's the divine cure. That we raise up an anthem of prayer for the very people that have hurt us. That's healing. So heal your body, I ask. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So communion is going to be real simple. Jesus, you are the bread of life. Feed life in us today. Not the death that we can so easily latch onto, the death of anger and bitterness and resentment. Feed life in us today. Let's eat together. May we know we're forgiven. May the other tool of the enemy be broken today, his condemnation of us, that we should be better believers, that we should be grace-filled believers, marveling that you would forgive us and cleanse us, that we're forgiven. Let's drink of his forgiveness. Amen. We're going to sing another song after that song. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be people that love to pray for you. If you want to be baptized, Juan right over here would love to tell you what it means to be baptized. Would you stand for this final song?